The journey of life can be exhausting. It's easy to focus on the difficulties and forget about the beauty that's all around us. Sometimes we need to stop at a scenic overlook. Welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast. I'm Brandon Booth, and in this episode, I'm joined once again by Matt Boland and Peter Gamel as we continue our conversation about the powerful practice of spiritual direction. Today, we're taking a look at the ways that a spiritual director can help you pause, notice, and savor the sacred moments in your life, those times where God has made his presence known. At times like that, a spiritual director is like a tour guide, someone who's specially trained to help you notice the beauty and appreciate the details of God's presence. As a trained spiritual director, I listen carefully to help people identify moments of wonder, breakthrough, intimacy, and even grace. I can ask discerning questions to help you cherish these spiritual vistas. I help you pause and savor the presence of God. We're glad to have you along for this multi-part series on spiritual direction. So let's get started with today's discussion. Matt and Peter, welcome. Good to see you guys. Hey, thanks, Brandon. Always good to be here with you and Matt. It's great to see you guys again. But I want to stop something real quick. I just have to interject because this past couple of weeks, I was able to go to an apologetics conference. You, you guys know is a passion of mine, and I just got to be among my people. You know, theology and apologetics nerds just hanging out, and it was really great. But during that time, one of the things I noticed is you can't say anything around these guys without being challenged. Even if they agree with what you're saying, they're going to challenge you on it just to see how well you're able to defend it. And it actually got me to thinking about our last podcast. And in our last podcast, Brandon, you and I were talking about going on the spiritual journey and just embracing everything that that has for us. And I felt like I was right on, right in line with you and I, I understand what, what you were saying. But you also made the comment of maybe in this season of exploration, God will lead you in a path of exploring other religions. Now, again, I think I understood with what you were saying, and I was tracking with you the whole time. But in the interest of pushing against ideas and challenging people, I just wanted to push on that a little bit more and say, Brandon Booth isn't telling us that it would be a good idea to deconvert, is he? Brandon's surely not saying it's a good idea to deny Jesus as Lord. Do you want to respond to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... It's a great question, of course, and it's complicated is my answer. Like, obviously, I believe in the truth of Christianity. I believe that Jesus is literally God. And so I think if you're going to have a relationship with God, you need to have a relationship with Jesus, the human being, the Father and the Holy Spirit, right? Like, okay, so statement of faith, Trinitarian, Nicene Creed is the statement of signpost ends faith. And I, and I hold firmly to that. That being said, I think in my own life and in other people's lives that I have experience with, the journey that God takes us on into knowing him more deeply, knowing the true God more deeply, knowing Jesus truly, can look like a lot of strange things that includes things that most of us would never even think is Christianity. So on the most innocuous level, like the least dangerous level, it's like exploring other denominations. And I think in our conversation in our last podcast, that was the context in which we were talking, which is people who are feeling as though it's unsafe to explore other kinds of Christianity. And I have a real problem with that. Like, I've said this many times, it's not a surprise to anybody here, 
I am a confessional Lutheran. That is central to my identity. I believe that very strongly. I think it's the right quote unquote denomination, blah, blah, blah. But I have a real issue with people who are like, you have to stay in our denomination or you're in danger. I mean, dude, like I'm trying to think of a great analogy to that, but it's like, yes. Do I think that confessional Lutheranism has the purest teaching on the gospel? Yes. That's why I'm there. Do I think you're in real danger if you're some other denomination? No. Do I think you're in real danger if you're a Mormon? Yeah, I do. I don't think Mormons worship the same God as I do. And I think they worship a false God. And I'm not afraid to say that. I think that's correct. Do I think that Muslims in yeah. danger? Yeah, absolutely. They're definitely not worshiping the same God as me. And we could argue that apologetically. They're not worshiping the true God is the way to say it. It's not the same God as me. That doesn't matter. Who cares? <laughs> what matters is, is it the true God or not? You know, let's lay it down really firmly and say there is no other name than in heaven and earth by which a man, a person can be saved and know God, Jesus Christ. That's the only name. That being said, Jesus is not a principle. He's not a philosophy. He's not a system of belief. It's not, you don't have to have all the correct doctrines in your brain in order to do it and be it right. And I think that's the thing I'm pushing back on. That's what I was pushing back on in our last episode. We reduce Christianity to, and all religions, to virtue signaling according to doctrine. Mm -hmm. I have the right beliefs in my head. Mm -hmm. That's not unimportant. That's important. But let's talk about our journey now. Let's talk about how God right. leads me as an individual in this life with my own story through to truth and knowing him and trusting him. Well, I trust Jesus' discernment better than my own. And I'll just tell my own personal story. My own story is growing up Christian. I deconstructed before it was cool to deconstruct. Didn't even know that word existed when I was in college. That's how nobody was using that term. We were still just talking about how teenagers start to question their faith, which everybody does. Point is, yeah. So I walked through a lot of different denominations. I walked away from all church for quite a while, a couple years. I never was like, not a Christian publicly, but internally, I wasn't sure whether I believed it. I explored Buddhism for a while. That was the one that was most attractive to me as a possible alternative. I couldn't be an atheist because there were problems with atheism, especially for a philosophy major. But Buddhism was really attractive as a kind of atheistic religion. So I explored that for a long time. I even sort of practiced, quote unquote, Buddhism, which I didn't really. Like, that's dumb. I never... but. But I internally was like, ooh, let's try this philosophy on for a long time. My experience with that was that I came back to Christianity with a far greater appreciation for, for the truth of it. There's actually a book. I probably could pull it off my shelf. Yeah, right here. This book, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. It's called The Unexpected Way. It's on converting from Buddhism to Catholicism. This book, I would say saved my faith, saved me because this is a British guy. He deconverted from Christianity to Buddhism deep, deep into it for years and years, was a teacher of Buddhism for a long time. And then this is his story of why he came back to Christianity. Hmm. And if you're an apologist and you want to deal with Buddhism, I'm just going to keep holding it up. This is the <laughs> book to get. It's amazing. But that was my journey. I think Jesus took me on it. I think Jesus took me on it gently. I think Jesus took me on it purposefully. 
And I think had I been terrified that I was going to hell because I was exploring Buddhism, I never would have learned the gentleness and goodness and grace that Jesus actually has for me. That's not to say had I gone full-on Buddhist and left the faith and walked away from Jesus and denied him, that that's not dangerous. Of course it is. Absolutely it is. I'm not even saying that what I did was without danger. I'm just saying, I think Jesus walks us through dangerous places. I don't know. Sorry, that was a really long-winded answer, but what do you think? Like I say, I'm tracking with you, and and we've shared on the podcast before, and I've just shared with you personally, the impact that the openness that you've exhibited, and especially you and Leave together, have opened me up to more experiences. Because I think I'm I'm that person that you were just describing. I used to have a very negative view of practicing Lent because, well, that's Catholic, and we're not mm-hmm. Catholic, and we don't do that. And lo and behold, y'all created such a beautiful picture of what it actually is supposed to be about. This isn't just a dead religious practice that actually for people who see the true value in it, it is actually a, a very spiritually rich thing. I mean, and we've shared that on the podcast before. So yeah, I'm definitely tracking with you, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to push the limits on what, what we were talking about and kind of see, I mean, if we're talking about exploration, there are certain things where there are ledges and cliffs where you just don't want to walk off that. But at the same time, there's, there is some going back to the subject of beautiful vistas. Sometimes there's beautiful views that you can only see by walking to the edge of the Grand Canyon and just standing in awe. Yeah. I don't know, Peter, Peter, what are, what are you thinking? Yeah, it's a good question. I wasn't a part of your all's last conversation. So sort of catching some of the inferences by your question here, Matt. But I too wondered, as you were describing, Brandon, sort of the eventual, oh, the way that the path you were on, Jesus used that for good. It reminded me of our topic today. It was like, was, was that a moment where you, at, where you were at a scenic overlook, where you were able to look back and go, wow, this has been a strange path, but look at this. Look at what I now see more clearly. Look at the beauty that I'm able to appreciate. I don't know if that is a a good segue or if that makes sense or if that was your experience, but that sort of was what I was thinking as I was listening. Yeah. I don't know if that fits into the idea. I mean, the metaphors of travel are probably infinitely malleable in some sense. We could probably use them for a lot of things. Like certainly I did look back over a lot of stuff at that time, but not in the same celebratory way that I think the idea of a vista or scenic overlook is meant to capture here. I want to wrap this part up by saying this revisiting of our last conversation by saying, I think the tension that I want to preserve is that there is real truth and real danger and a real God who isn't afraid of it and can move through it safely. And I think we we tend, I, all of us tend to go one way or the other. I really dislike the argument that there are a lot of different denominations because people have different preferences and God wants to meet them in their preferences. I, I, I really, that, that relativizes the faith and it makes it all, there's no truth. Here. But I also really dislike the argument that says there's only one right <laughs> denomination and you all, and we all should be in that one. I don't think I need to relativize the truth to say that God can lead us on different paths for various reasons. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and, and that, that is a thing that you and I have talked a lot about, and I definitely agree because I, I 
I have a, a strong resistance or, or maybe even an, an allergy to people who have the perspective that the only right way to experience God, to experience Christianity, to walk with Jesus is to stay within our four walls and never think for yourself, never explore and never challenge the way we do things, the way we think about things, because, well, I just, I just don't feel like that's actually what, what God would call us to. After the, the life and ministry of Jesus was full of challenging people's mm -hmm. assumptions. I don't think that's ended. I think sometimes the way God works in us, in the path of sanctification, in the path of us growing into maturity, in the path of bearing spiritual fruit, we sort of have to be challenged and have ourselves shaken up a little bit in order to grow. So. Totally. Yep. Yep. I agree. Well, listeners, we'd love to hear your feedback on all of this. Obviously, we've said this a million times. This is the back porch. We like to have these conversations and see where they go. We're neither experts and we're certainly not always right. <laughs> and we are here to learn as much as anything else. So yeah, send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you think about that. Turning to our actual topic for today, as we've tried to do a few times, the last couple episodes we've talked about hardships, the ways that a spiritual director can help you through difficult times, questioning times. But there's also these beautiful times, these times when we get to look at ways that God has been present and done things for us. So just first up on that topic, do you guys have some scenic overlook moments, those those places on your spiritual journey where you paused and reflected on the positive good? ways in which God has been with you? I mean, I'd love to hear just brief story on that. Do you have, do you have those? When I think about a scenic overlook or a moment in time where I look back on where it was a positive experience, like kind of that celebration of God's goodness, I think about a particular retreat, the Via de Cristo retreat that I went on um, right before COVID um, broke out. And it was, I think the word is just refreshing. Mm. I had an experience there where it was it was just like a gracious time and space with other Christian men to, I don't know, I think most of what we were doing was sitting with God's goodness for like three days. And I think perhaps what made that sink in for me was the length of time. You know, it wasn't a singular moment that we were trying to do that. And then we all went home for the night and I woke up the next day and went, all right, back to the real world. But it was this, I was just the sponge and over the course of like four days, just more and more like, okay, no, this is, this is sort of a way of life that I could, I, I don't have to like take it in small little bits and doses. Like I can sit here and celebrate and enjoy feeling God's closeness, feeling that God is near and that he cares. And so when you ask the question, that's the experience that comes to mind for me is just those, those days on that retreat just being blessed and filled up. I just felt light. Like, I think that's the, the how I remember it is just like, this is such a gift. I've, I mm. truly feel some of that closeness that, you know, I always desire with God. And it was just a gift and something that I still look back on and, and can celebrate and say, wow, thank you for that experience, mm. Lord. That's awesome. Yeah. As Peter was talking, one of the things I was actually reminded of was in college going on a summer mission trip to Africa. This is almost kind of cliche at this point, right, with, with modern evangelicals of going and spending a summer or, or, or doing mission trips. And those are all good. I'm not, I'm not knocking yeah. mission trip things. But I do recall, you know, here I am in a foreign country 
nobody in my family had ever done anything like that. I'd never done anything. And there, there was kind of a sense of, I, I'm, I'm a different person because of this. I've changed on this journey. And it, it, it was a, an experience where I, I kind of walked away feeling a little bit more confident in who I was. My, my journey was far from over. It was far from complete. But at the same time, there was this sense of, I'm a different man. And maybe in, in a certain sense, kind of a transition of just being some college dude, you know, just a guy to something's happening here and I'm, I'm coming back different. And I, if even, even now, I'm not exactly sure I can put my finger on exactly what that was, but I, there was this transition of, of almost a metamorphosis of saying I've transformed into something different. Um, not in like a like a self-righteous kind of way, but just in a sense of this is a milestone. This marks the end of a certain a stage in my development, a certain a way of being. And I've transitioned into a whole new area. Um, and it was exciting. It was an exciting transition. I don't know if that fits what you're trying to say, Brandon. I think so. I think both of them have the character of something that sticks with you. Like in my mind, the idea of the scenic overlook it's something that I am relatively familiar with in actuality being from Colorado. So growing up, going for drives in the mountains, literally you would come across a sign that would say scenic overlook and you would pull off the side of the road and they had a dry, you know, they had a cutout like you could pull off into it and stand there and have a beautiful view from halfway up the mountain as you're going across. So that's the image that's in my brain. And I think that that is what you both have said are sort of things like that, where it's either a really beautiful moment, Peter, that sticks with you because of its, because of the feelings, the beauty, the power, or maybe the, the past look, like looking back over something and seeing where you've come and how far you've come. And I think that can include the difficult times, there's been rough stuff that I, you know, a lot of the stuff in my life of change has been difficult times too. I think for all of us, that's true. But there are these moments when we can be invited to literally kind of pull off the side of the road, stop and take it in. Whether that's a whole new experience, which is kind of what I'm feeling hearing what Peter's was, or a sort of looking back kind of transformative recognition experience. I think Anyway, so I think both of those are really valid. I think for me, the one that comes to mind is that looking back style thing where it's looking back over a season of great difficulty in life, but now seeing it from a different vantage point and seeing the good, seeing the beauty, seeing the hardship, but also the value that came from it and also how far it's brought me. So that's, and that's less of an individual moment in time for me and more of a like, Peter, I think you said this. It's like a thing you can go back to. For me, that's there too. Like I can come back to this like, oh, I was given a vision from a higher vantage point of what I've been through. And that feels celebratory. This feels good. I can see that God was with me the whole time and I can hang on to that. Let me toss this question out for you guys then. I feel like it's really important to, to actually pause with those. I also feel like myself and most people I know tend not to. Hmm. And I'm curious as to why. Driving up the mountain, there's the sign that says scenic overlook. It's an invitation to pause. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to blow on right past that. So are you asking 
metaphorically in the spiritual sense? Or are you asking why yeah. people literally don't stop? It might be the same answer. Because the answer uh, into why you don't stop is because we've got a kid that needs to go to the bathroom and we're, <laughs> we cannot stop. We must reach the rest stop. That's not wrong. Yeah, I think that's true. There's some metaphor to that. So what you're saying is they need restrooms at the scenic overlooks. Yeah. yeah. It's problem solved. Yep. National parks, I hope you're listening. There is something about the sense of urgency. Why, why don't we stop for enjoyable experiences is because we have to keywords have to have to get somewhere whether it's i need relief from something or i i'm late or whatever our perception is on our spiritual journey that i have to be at this next destination this next mile mark i think that there's that sense of urgency whether it's defined or not that says okay this was pretty cool but what's next and that can keep us uh, on a artificial time crunch that mm -hmm. kind of keeps our pedal to the metal and uh, zooming up the mountain rather than slowing down to say, hey, I think I would like to stop and enjoy this yeah. view that I now have. Yeah. Peter, that made me think of, I've thought about this in the past. This is not clinical. Okay. This is just using words. There's the anxious types whose eyes are fixed forward and their foot is on the gas pedal. And the anxiety is, well, I got to get where I'm going. I got to make progress. And so just the, the future, they live in the future. Then there's the depressive types whose foot is on the brake pedal and their eyes are on the rear view mirror and they live in the past, right? They're sad because they don't have what they had back there. And you know, some, in some sense, neither one of those is going to stop and take time to look at something beautiful and just be in the present moment. And wow, what a great, what a wonderful view this is. I definitely resonate with the anxious type. My, I'm always urgent, forward facing. Got to get up that mountain. Don't have time to stop and look back. I think that's that's there. But I anyway, I was just I was just realizing that there is the other types who aren't going to resonate with urgency to get up the mountain. You know, there's also the I don't even want to try getting up the mountain because I'm missing what's back there. And that's obviously extremes too. But right. Well, and I think there's a biblical principle of well, and maybe it's not entirely biblical now that I think about it, but the paradigm of my thinking has been shifted somewhat in the idea of eternity has already begun. A lot of times there's this perspective of, well, in the new kingdom, when Christ comes back and paradise is restored, there's going to be a time for rest then. There's going to be a time for reflection then, but right now um, time is limited and we have to hurry and we have to achieve these goals. And there's all these things that we have to get done before we run out of time. And there, there's a certain sense in which that's true. We, have, we do have limited time. Our bodies are decayed. We have a certain number of years on this earth. And so there are certain things that we, we ought to set our mind to accomplishing and, and to doing. But on the flip side of that, there's also the sense of we already live in eternity. We've already begun mm -hmm. our eternal life with God. And so it does open up at least the window into eternity where we can pause and enjoy an eternal perspective in which there is no deadline. There is no rush. Mm -hmm. It is already accomplished. It is all done. And I find myself often saying, if the kingdom had already come and I were in this moment, how would I react to what, what is before me at this time? Would I mm -hmm. sit and savor this meal and this conversation more with these people? 
or would my mind be thinking about everything I've got to get done tomorrow and being anxious about my to-do list rather than just savoring the blessing that's literally right in front of me? Mm-hmm. So back to the discussion about Buddhism, this connects, I promise. One of the things that I have continually found so beautiful and powerful about the Christian way of thinking is that we embrace the paradoxes so much that we're so non-reductive. And that's what I hear you saying, Matt. Or at least that's how I'm resonating with what you're saying. There is something to do in this life and it's worth doing. So if you're the kind of person that wants to get stuff done and see progress, we have a place for you. At the same time, there's always the eternal, the God's eye view, the perspective that that the whole thing, what's being done is a beautiful tapestry, story, movie, whatever, that's worth appreciating the whole way along. And nothing really needs to be done because God is the grandest of storytellers. And so if you're the kind of person who wants to sit and look at beauty, there's a place for you here too, and you don't need to do anything. And we have this tension that's always at play. Like, I love that. Yeah, we have work to do today. When we get off this video call, we're going to have to go do work. But there's a whole nother way to like go through that that day, just savoring every minute as it comes along, because we also know there's no real pressure to like fix the world or change this or do that. You know, I mean, like, so bringing that to a point, Christianity, one of the things that brought me back to it was that it was a very sophisticated religion. And I don't mean that like urbane. I mean, like it, it, it was just so rich and so much of everything else is simplified and reduced. And I love that. Seems like we're kind of at the intersection here of our conversation where, at least in my mind, where we're touching a bit on the, the words like savor and reflection, like enjoying these moments. And that is sort of uh, reminded me of how we talk about contemplation as a long, loving look at the real. I don't know, is this a space or Brandon, could you offer some like really practical, like how to savor sort of things as a ministry we've been interested in and exploring and using contemplative exercises kind of to this effect of incorporating our whole selves, mind, body, and spirit into a moment with God. Is this the place in our conversation where you would maybe make that a little bit more concrete for our listeners? Yeah. Can I turn that back on you for a minute? Just because like nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. One, I'm curious what you're thinking. Two, we've been on retreats together. I'm just curious how you have encountered it. I think, Peter, you and I share kind of the anxious personality, if I may say that publicly. Sorry. And also, like, we've had to learn to savor. So I'm curious what your experience has been. Yeah. For, for me, learning some simple ways of intentionally aligning the separate parts of me into one experience has been helpful in savoring, or at least in how I've come to understand what it means to savor a moment. I can live so much in my head, like, you know, it just is like a ping pong match of thoughts and I'm not sure who's on either side, but just things are flying around. And so some of the simple practices of breathing exercises have really helped me calm down and, and be more aware of what is even going on in the present, which I think is the first step for me to if I'm going to savor it, I have to be aware of what's going on. And so even just like, okay, I'm going to just tell my body, hey, calm down. We're okay. I'm safe. And like that just gives me 
I just start calming down enough to be aware what's going on, what's happening. And, and that, that gives me the opportunity to savor. Mm. I don't know, the imagery that has been both challenging and helpful in terms of like what it looks like to savor, just say, I'm going to just sit here and enjoy this moment. It's been like the roller coaster imagery. Like the present moment is happening. I'm on the roller coaster. I have the choice though of whether or not I'm going to like, ah, like, you know, I don't like this. and or, or just, you know, not be aware, eyes shut, basically resisting the moment. Or I can say, I, this is what's happening. Whee! And the challenging part is that I hate roller coasters, but I like that metaphor. And to me, savoring feels like, okay, as much as I have little to no control over the bad things in my life that I would re resist and say, no, 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 no. I, I have little control over the good things that also happen in life. And so when they come along, sometimes I'm like, I didn't make this happen. You know, I like... I can't just celebrate this. Like, I don't know. I have a resistance similar to the negative experiences. And I, so I think that same response of like, whatever, I'm, this, is, this is an enjoyable season. This is a beautiful place. I'm just going to throw up my hands and say, okay. So I don't know if any of that is concrete at all, but I think the components of trying to calm down my body enough to be aware of what's going on. And then there comes a... Then I'm aware of the decision point where God says, you could clench your fists up and, and not enjoy this time, or you could, and you're safe to do so. So why not? Mm -hmm. I think our next staff retreat has to be to a Six Flags because I no. wonder if you would enjoy- This is why I don't talk about these things. I wonder if you would enjoy roller coasters more now that you have that like insight. Oh boy. I think you just revealed uh, to the world, Brandon, what kind of a boss you are and what it's like to work with you. <laughs> it's it's a prayer practice, roller coaster prayer practice. Oh man, I I think that was concrete for me, Peter. I'm not sure what other people are feeling, but there were there were a couple of things that were really interesting in that. One, I I really appreciated that, like we get in our heads rather than in the moment, and that that idea of being in the moment is such a popular faddish kind of term right now but i think the way you described it captures more of what what we're like practically what we mean by that no it's not a magical thing it's not like some meditative practice it's just it's just throwing your hand it's like just being do just doing the thing in the moment and not thinking about its future or its past or all the concerns but just setting that aside long enough to actually just do the thing go down the roller coaster experience what it's like to feel that and savor or I think it's almost like allow that feeling to happen rather than resist that feeling. Move that over to a scenic overlook. I wonder if I can share my screen. I, I got this. I found this right before we started. I'm going to see if I can. If you're watching on video, you'll be able to see this. Let's, let's see if this works. I love heights. For people who are listening, we're showing a picture from Norway of two people standing on a rock wedged between two cliffs, a giant rock, a boulder. And they're just sort of standing there looking down and it's thousands of feet down. So there are some people right now who just turned off their video and are never going to come back to our podcast because just the thought of that is going to make your feet hurt and terrify them. But what I like about that, why, why I would stand on that rock is because it does terrify me and it's like the roller coaster for me. It's it's a powerful enough emotion that it sort of overcomes all my other stuff. 
and I experience it in the moment and let it happen. And I'm like, I'm all present right there. And I think that's the kind of in the moment we're talking about, like being all of me present in that moment, which on a slower scale, I think that's what the practice of contemplation is. When we talk about it being the long loving look at the real, which is a quote, you can do that with a leaf, which is what leave my wife is really good at. You can take a leaf and be all present to it. Like just Hmm. all other thoughts aside, you can be looking at this and touching it and smelling it and be present to it. And you can do that with God. And I honestly, I think this is the central point of this topic, that being able to pause and be fully present to the work of God in this moment. See, even if you're looking over something in the past, but like God is here and now with me, that's powerful. I think that's why this is such an important thing to practice and to do, to to pause and at a scenic overlook and notice God's presence, notice how God has worked, notice him right now because it takes him out of our brain and it makes it real. We notice the reality of God. He's really real and really doing stuff. I don't know if that makes sense. I feel like we actually touched on this in one of the very first podcasts we recorded where, Brandon, you were talking about the concept of consenting to God's presence. And I think mm-hmm. a neighbor to that idea is this concept of inviting a Jesus to be present with you where you're at um, and taking pause to savor, you know, Peter, like what you're saying about savoring. And I've, I've found it really helps to be outdoors. I live in the desert. It's not always very beautiful, but there's something about being among things that are created by God and outside of the confines of being boxed in by man-made things. So finding something, even if you're just looking at a tree or a riverbed or something, something that is that is of God, something that's of nature and, and inviting him in that moment. Or maybe it, maybe there's a deeper level there. Maybe God's inviting you to, to stop and see and savor and consent to his presence in that moment. I would love to point out that there's like a whole section of the Psalms that are for this. When you get into the last portion of the Psalms, kind of in the hundreds, there's a whole set that are praise Psalms, but they're remembrance Psalms. Like Psalm 111 starts with, hallelujah, I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The Lord's works are great. And then it goes on to discuss the Lord's works. Psalm 112, 113, they all are these praise psalms about things that God did. Psalm 114 is a praise for God's deliverance. And then you get to Psalm 118, which is famous, right? Because it has the refrain, depending on your translation, his faithful love endures forever. Uh, Oh, sorry, that's not Psalm 118. Is it? Yeah, it is. There's a couple of them that do that. Psalm 118 has it a few times, and I forget where the other one is. Essentially, these are savor psalms because they're like, here's what God did. Let's praise him for that. His faithful love endures forever. He did this. His faithful love endures forever. He did this. His faithful love endures forever. And it's super powerful as an invitation to really stop with the goodness of God and not move past it. To the point about this being about spiritual direction, I think it's helpful to have the tour guide the person, the the external physical voice that says to you, we should pause with this hmm. and not just talk about pausing with it, but we actually should stop and sit in silent prayer 
or sit in the feeling of the joy of something. Like I have had times with my own directees, which is just, they're so beautiful, where the whole time we've talked has been a celebration of closeness of God, of good things that he's doing. And then being able to say to somebody, can we just pause with that? Can we just stop for a couple of minutes and actually feel the gratitude as a prayer to the Lord? My gosh, it is so wonderful. It is so beautiful. And in those moments, God really, really, really can be experienced as a, I would even argue, a physical presence. Like he, he's, not, he's not a distant third-party observer in those moments. I think the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, sings in my heart in those moments. And I don't know how else to explain that, and I don't want that to sound loopy. It's not. It's really not. I think we all kind of know what that is. But boy, those things have done more for my faith in some ways than others, because it's like, yep, I cannot deny the reality of God because I felt his joy. But it's really helpful to have someone else notice that for you and pause us on that long enough to do it. I do want to say one other thing, kind of on the theory of it. So up till now, we've been talking about the savoring, like the throwing your hands up on the roller coaster or being fully present to something. I do think there's another aspect to the scenic overlook metaphor, especially in spiritual direction, which is the after having done that. So you, you're off the roller coaster, you're back on the road after stopping at the scenic overlook. And then there's this, an opportunity for reflection on it to talk about the experience. Pausing long enough to have the experience is crucial. You have to do that. But I think it's also powerful to try to put the experience into words. Because there's a really real sense in which we don't know what we feel until we can articulate it in some form. Stop on the scenic overlook and look out over this huge, beautiful vista. I feel overwhelmed. I feel gratitude. I feel joy. I feel small but I feel small in a good way, a healthy way. I feel wonder. But in the moment, all that stuff is like crammed into this one intense experience. It's the conversation in the car on the way up the mountain after I stopped that lets me unpack it and really know what I felt. And that's so necessary. This came to my mind really clearly this last week. Uh, Leave played a song for me it was a, it's a Appalachian song and she really loves it. And it sounds really weird. Like it's in a minor key, which I barely even know what that means. It's got close harmony. All of these things leave explained to me. And it's got an unresolved harmony in the middle of the song or unresolved note. So you expect a resolution, you know, in progression of notes, there's this like expected sound but it gives you an off sound. And so it feels uncomfortable. Not knowing any of that, I'm like, I don't really like this song. Hmm. I don't know why I don't like this song. I just don't like it. Well, she explained to me all those things and how the, the minor key, and the unresolved note and the close harmony are intended to contribute to a sort of, it's an unfinished feel. Like I hmm. want a resolution, but I can't get it because the song itself is about the longing for the return of the Lord. Hmm. And the chorus part where the unresolved is the strongest is basically talking about Jesus' return and wanting him back. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that song makes me, and I could explain it, that song makes me feel 
uncomfortable and unresolved, and it makes me long for a resolution. Now I love the song mm. because I understood what it was I was feeling and how it was connected to the actual experience. And it was an uncomfortable feeling. It was a not very good feeling, but it was a really good in a bigger picture. Like I, that song speaks things that I wouldn't be able to speak otherwise. And that just shows the power of reflection. I didn't understand what I was feeling. I just felt eh. when I was able to reflect and say, I felt discomfort. I felt longing. I felt unresolved. I felt like I wanted Jesus to return. Oh, now I'm all in. Anyway, so that's, that's another thing that I would say we need practice in our modern world to do. One of the words that's coming to mind, Brandon, as you're talking about that is this, this concept of interpretation and you're talking about it with a song because because the song for you needed a little bit of context. It needed a little bit of interpretation for you to get it. And I can't help but think of C.S. Lewis in his work, Till We Have Faces. Most mm. people, when they read that book, are very confused at the end. They're like, what did I just read? What is this? What? And it it requires somebody who knows a little bit about C.S. Lewis knows a little bit about literature and of what he's doing before it becomes like, oh my gosh, this is a beautiful story. This is a profound mm -hmm. story. And some people say it's one of the best books he had ever written, yet you need the, a little bit of interpretive framework in order to see the beauty and see what the intention was. And once you have that, it opens up a whole new world to you. And I feel like what you're saying is on our spiritual journeys, in a certain sense, there needs to be those moments where after the scenic view and then you're on the car and you're driving, you almost need Jesus to say, let me give you a little context for what you just saw and and what you experienced. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's Peter, this is a word that you have been using lately and talking about being powerful for you, but it's integration, right? It's It's like integrating what we know to be true about God with our experience about God. When those things click together, I've had this experience. I can now describe it in a way that makes sense to my analytical faith side, doctrinal side even. There's something really good about that. It's like the world comes together in a way that it hasn't before. So you need both. Yeah. Well, and, and I can't remember if I've learned this from you, Brandon, or or where I heard it, but but the the prayer practice, especially when you're struggling with something, the prayer practice of inviting Jesus in to help provide interpretation, to help provide the integration. A lot of times when we reflect on things in our lives, there's a gap between what we experience and, and our understanding of it. And we just need somebody to close that gap to make those connections. And I found it in prayer, it being a powerful thing of inviting Jesus in to provide that interpretation, to make those connections. And it doesn't always come in that moment, but letting Jesus have an opportunity to have a voice in the way you see yourself, in the way you see your story, is a very powerful experience. And it can actually yeah. uh, transform something that maybe wasn't all good into the recognition of, oh, you intended this for good. Yep. It even lets us see things that we didn't know we saw. Mm -hmm. Yes. The... Our right brain intuitive part of ourselves takes in all kinds of information, but until it gets integrated with the left brain, analytical, thoughtful, articulate side, it stays in that kind of background space. And I think God 
can draw that out. Jesus can draw it out and be like, here's, here's what it meant. Here's the interpretive framework. Here's the connection. And that's when, now we know we've seen things that we, we saw, but we didn't know we saw or couldn't talk about what we saw or experienced. I think those are the things that, those are the, those are the growth moments more often than not. And I hate using that language because immediately people think like moral growth, like I got, I became a better person, but I would say more like relational growth. It's, it, it's when I, I've gone much, much deeper in to the reality of God. And he's gone much deeper into me. So one of the questions I think ties in here that we had talked about before the show was how does a spiritual director do that for somebody? Or maybe even as concrete as like, what are the types of questions that a spiritual director asks that can provide that interpretive framework that that allows somebody to see what they didn't previously see? Yeah, I think the most obvious stuff is skillful questions around what you might be feeling, a skillful observation of body language and tone of voice and all the things that we bring into an experience or a reflection that we're not aware we're doing. I don't want that to sound clinical. It's just, it's nice to have somebody notice that when I'm saying that roller coaster ride was crazy, it's nice to have somebody notice and say, sounds like, looks like you might have been kind of scared, you know, and and person's like, oh yeah, yeah, I was scared. And then the skillful observer picks up on there's an unsaid but there. I'm still in the right right brain, intuitive, experiential side. I need somebody else's left brain to kind of help it come out. Give Mm. me the words that I don't have yet. So questions around what are you feeling, skillful observation around how you're feeling, and then just courageousness to try things. Do you feel this? No, it's not like that. Well, that's success. Great. Now we know you don't feel that way. Do you feel this mm-hmm. way? Oh yeah, it's more like that. And just that that helpful externalization. That's one way I would say a skillful spiritual director can help you. And other kinds of things that they would do is, I, I think even probably before the questions is the relational space in which it's safe to explore emotion. Because that's scary business, man. Where you know you're not going to get judged if you have the quote-unquote wrong feeling about something, which there isn't that, but we all think there is. We all feel like there is. And then and then, like further down the road, once we have, okay, yeah, this is what I've experienced. This is what I felt. This is where I'm at with it in that intuitive side. I think it's questions about like what Matt said. Can we, can we bring God into this? What might he be saying about this in this moment? How does he feel about it? What's his interpretation of that? Or what might he be inviting you to think about in that respect? And there too, it's not just that question and then you're supposed to have some magic feeling or voice from God, but I think a skillful spiritual director will observe you you, and be sensitive to God in the room as well and offer some of those things. Could it be that God is inviting you to think this way or do this or feel this. Or, or a good example is, that reminds me of this story in scripture. It sounds a lot like this story. Is that relevant? Because that brings this the scriptural interpretation in, right? Yeah, all of a sudden, now I'm dealing with paradigms in scripture that apply to what I've experienced and what I've been through. And, I'll, and I start to go, yeah, in scripture, this is how God works through this or thinks about this or 
understands this experience. Yep, that's that's true in my life as well. Hmm. All of that stuff starts to organize an experience and allow you to interpret it. I think not just the way you want to interpret it, that's important, but also the way God interprets it, which is true. Well, thanks guys. I think this is probably a good place to wrap up. This has been a lovely conversation and I'm thoroughly enjoying these conversations with you guys. Uh, listeners, we're glad you're with us. Uh, we are very interested in your thoughts. We would love you to reach out with an email and give us your opinions, your questions. Actually, we got a listener question a couple weeks ago, which we will probably bring to the show soon. And we would love to hear yours. Please send them to us at podcast at signpostin.org. We really would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and a review on your favorite podcasting app. That will help us a ton. Pop over to YouTube and leave us a review somewhere on one of our shows. That'd be pretty cool too. But probably even more important than all of that, please, if you've got an episode that you've enjoyed, if it's this episode or any of our others, would you like right now just pop over to your phone, grab the share link and send it to somebody that you know, just text it to them right now. It takes five seconds and tell them you got to listen to this. It's awesome. That's going to help us a ton to spread uh, the news that, that people need to hear. So please do that. Just grab an episode and send it to a friend via text right now. All right, cool. Thank you. My, Matt, Peter, good to see you guys. Thank you for hanging out again. We'll do it again soon. Uh, everybody, may the grace of Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Signpost In, a nonprofit Christian ministry dedicated to helping people connect with God and find direction. We offer spiritual direction, retreats, and lots of other resources like this podcast. Please visit us at signpostin.org to learn more. We especially want to thank our generous donors who support our work and keep this podcast going. If you've benefited from something you've heard on this show, please consider supporting us by making a tax-deductible gift at signpostin.org slash donate. That's signpostin.org slash donate. And thank you.